Well, this morning is Thanksgiving Sunday, and so I thought we should talk about the end of the world. Actually, that's just where we ended up in Luke. So I apologize for that. Uh, there, is, uh, there, there were a priest and a pastor who were standing by the side of the road together. And they were holding a sign together, which already speaks of the end of the world, probably, that a priest and a pastor, two different congregations in the parish would come together and stand together and hold a sign together. And the sign they held together by the side of the road said, the end is near. Turn around now before it's too late. And uh, so they held this sign and the first car drove by and he rolled down his window Get lost, you religious nuts. Through his Tim Hortons cup. Just misses them. Drives around the corner. They hear. And they turn to one another and say, you know, maybe we should have just put bridges out. Wasn't really the end of the world. You know, anytime we talk about the end of the world, two things happen. If you're in an end-of-the-world discussion, it's one of two discussions. Either you love end-of-the-world stuff, and so the more the conversation goes on, the more animated you get, and you're getting into, oh, yeah, did you hear about this thing? And I read about this thing. And you like people get more and more animated. Or you hate end-of-the-world stuff, and the more that conversation goes on, the more depressed you get. And you just feel more and more like, oh, my goodness, when can I get out of this conversation? Just stop talking, please. That's how it goes usually, is one or the other. And so this morning, my prayer is that we could land somewhere in the middle as we talk about this without, you know, going way off the deep end and without feeling depressed. That's my hope as we engage with what Jesus is talking about. Now, last week, Jesus challenged his disciples and us to see the world through the generous eyes of kingdom investment. That's, how, that's what we heard about. And we heard about this fool who was building bigger barns, and then he dies that night. And he doesn't realize that time is short and that kingdom investment is the way to go. He doesn't, he doesn't live as though there will be a reckoning, that his life will be called onto the mat. Now this morning, Jesus continues to widen this challenge about how we live in a world that's about instant gratification and momentary pleasure. So if you have your Bible, you can read with me. It's Luke chapter 12 is where we are. We're working our way through Luke. And we're at Luke chapter 12, verses 35 to 48. And if you don't, I'll read it and uh, you can just follow along. This is what Jesus says. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him once he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this. That if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, "Um, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? 
And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household and give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on that day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him in with the unfaithful. Oh my goodness. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given Of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Wow, this is God's word. And Jonathan, you have your work cut out for you. If you're going to explain what this means. What does this mean? Our big idea this morning is this. Kingdom Christians are living awake, on mission, and in the spirit. They're living awake, on mission, and in the spirit. Live awake. This is the first challenge, the first piece. You know, when I was in grade eight, I, I, we had a young life overnight. And so I went with one of my friends from school and we went on this overnight. It might've been one or two nights. I can't, I don't even remember where it was. I just remember we were away with a bunch of young, with a bunch of youth and some youth leaders. And as we were going to go to sleep on this floor somewhere, you know, with our sleeping bags, my friend turned to me and he was like, it's all set. We're going to stay up till 1 a.m. And we're going to go to the bathroom and we're going to meet some girls. And I was like, this is grade eight. I was like, okay, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Like, are we going to get in trouble? Was, this is me. He's like, let's do it. Like, um, I don't know if this is a good idea. He was like, no, it's all set. We're going to do it. And I was like, okay. And then I started thinking like, maybe I'll get my first kiss or something. Or like, this could be pretty good. This could turn out well for me. So I was like, okay, okay, I'm in, I'm in. So we laid down and I did everything I could to stay awake. I like, you know, I'm poking my eyes. I'm pinching myself. Like I'm trying to like use my imagination to think of things that will keep me awake. I'm like really working hard. And finally I was like, I kept checking and we were chatting, like we kept checking in and finally 1 a.m. came and I was like, I made it, I made it. And I went and I, hey, hey, it's time. It's, he's out. I was like, wake up, it's time. We're gonna go. We're gonna meet the girls. Wake up. He was totally out. He would not wake up. So I was like, I gotta go without him. It's my duty. <laughs> it's okay though. So I went and I was like, okay, I'm just going to the bathroom, everyone. Everyone's sleeping. I like went over to the bath, you know, around to the bathroom and I like hung around for a few minutes, waiting, waiting, waiting. And then I went back to bed. <laughs> no one showed up. In the morning I was like, hey, what happened? Oh, we all fell asleep. Hey, you know what? It's hard to stay awake, isn't it? It's hard to stay awake, even when it's really important like that. <laughs> we want to sleep. I can't stay up for New Year's anymore. I have to like change the clocks and make everyone think it's midnight when it's not because I can't even do it. I don't recover. I love my bed. I like sleeping a lot now. It's just one of those things. 
you know, Jesus, on the night he's betrayed and he's going to go to the cross, he's, they leave the upper room where, the, where communion happens. And we did that. We talked all about that upper room. And they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus, with his disciples who are there with him, he says a couple of them, hey, come and watch and pray with me. And they go off separately. And he says, I'm going to go over here. And just, can you watch and pray with me? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus goes off, he's in agony, he's praying, and he comes back. Guys, wake up, you said you were going to watch and pray. And Oh, yeah, no, no, Jesus, we'll do it. No problem, no problem. Jesus goes off again, he comes back, they're sleeping again. That's our thing, isn't it? Sleepiness. This is the message, unmistakably, of what Jesus is saying in Luke chapter 12. He says, stay awake. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. This word awake, finds awake, is actually in the Greek, it's gregoreo. Say that, gregoreo. Now you know some Greek. And what it means is to, it's to be alert. And actually it's translated a lot to be watchful, to watch. Or to wake or be vigilant, to give strict attention to something to be watching. In Matthew 25, Jesus uses this expression, this word, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses it. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. In Colossians chapter four, he writes, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is this word, be alert, be Awake, watchful. Why does Jesus tell us and the disciples to be, to be watchful and awake and alert? Why does he say this? The answer is because we tend to go to sleep. We tend to be sleepy. We're sleepy. That's how it works. We're spiritually drowsy. We drift with the current. We use the default. We go with the cultural flow. We don't want to rock the boat. I don't like rocking the boat. So we just go with it. Just don't make waves. I know I'm sleepy when I can't answer the question. This happens sometimes. Someone come and be like, what's God doing in your life? It's like a good Christian question. What's God doing in your life? Sometimes I'm like, stuff. He's doing stuff. I Try to think of stuff. What stuff is he? I don't know. I don't know. Let's change the subject. I know I'm sleeping when I can't answer the question. What is God doing? I don't know. I feel sleepy. Like I'm not really paying attention. Like I'm just going along. When I can't remember the Sunday message. You ever have that? You might have it today. You'll go somewhere and someone will be like, what did the pastor preach about? And you'll be like, can't remember. Not one word. It's gone. I slept through it. Literally. Or when you feel ungrateful or you feel apathetic about life, I feel like those are indicators that I'm sleepy. I'm, I'm sleepy in my spirit and who I am. Now, Jesus gives two regular life examples of what we need to be awake like. And the first one is dressed and waiting. There's this statement, stay dressed for action. I like, when I read that, I was like picturing a superhero, like dressed for action. Da, 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 da. But that's not actually what Jesus was picturing when he said, 
Stay dressed for action. In other versions, it says, be dressed for service or be dressed in readiness. Now, at the bottom, if maybe in your Bible, there's a footnote that says this, let your loins be girded, is like the thing they were like, yeah, let's put that down here in small print. You know, if you want to know more about what this picture is, it's like, let your loins be girded. I'm like, I'm glad you put that in the small print. We don't want to talk about loins. Or girding, we don't even like, what is that? It sounds like the King James version or something. Let your loins be girded. What does that even mean? But the picture is, in Middle Eastern culture, they're wearing robes. The men don't run around, they walk in their robes. You know, if you tried to run, you'd be like, in a robe, right? So does that look weird? And... So to gird your loins is to be ready to run because they would have to run sometimes. So what they do is they pull up their robe and they hitch it into their belt and they're ready to run. They're dressed for, they're ready for action. They're ready to go, prepared. The master is returning from the wedding feast at an unknown time and he expects to be let in. Can you picture the master coming home and it's all dark at his house and he's like banging on the gate. Hey, anyone in there? Hey. Did someone let me in my own house? Hey, what do I pay you for? He's expecting the lights to be on and someone to be there ready to receive him. He's the master of the house after all. There was a time in when I was young and I was babysitting. And these are the stories you'll only tell when you're preaching, okay? Don't, I've never told this story to anyone. And um, for some reason, I, this was a fa- family I babysat a number of times, and so I knew them pretty well. For some reason, you know, they got, we're getting home late. For some weird teenage reason in my brain, I thought it would be kind of cute or funny, or I don't know what I was thinking, to pretend to be sleeping when they got home. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Anyway... It's kind of weird. All of you are like, whoa, you're, now you seem weirder to us. And so as I heard them coming, I'd already watched my movie and they were late and stuff. And so, so I laid down on the couch and I pretended to sleep. I pretended. So they came in and I was pretending to sleep. I don't know what came on me. And so, you know, they woke me up, pretended to wake me up. They thought they were really doing it. And then we got in the car and the dad was driving me home and then he started talking to me. You know, it'd be nice if you didn't fall asleep when we had you here. You know, I understand sometimes that happens. But... And then I was like, why did I do that? That's so weird. The truth is, the master expects the servants to be awake. The promise is that the servant who waited, expectant and ready, is blessed. When you pay your babysitter, you're expecting them to do a job, not to be sleeping on the job. Second, the second picture is surprised and ripped off, is the truth of it. Jesus switches the picture. He says, if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. Now in this picture, suddenly the master is not God anymore. The master is us and the thief is Jesus. So suddenly he just switched pictures on you, in case you weren't sure. And what he says is, if you're the master of the house and you know someone's coming to break into your house, you would act differently than if you didn't know. You would do some things differently. You might lock the door if you knew a thief was coming. You might put on the light. You might 
open and close the blinds. You might stay home and say, I'm here, don't break into my house. Wouldn't you? You would stay awake. I was watching out the window, like maybe it was a year ago or so. I happened to be looking out the window and I watched a guy ride up on his bike and he was riding really slowly and kind of driving around. He was like, looked very suspicious. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. So I just kept watching. And then he rode up and he kind of stopped in the middle of our street. And he kind of was looking around. He kind of bent down and was like doing something on his leg. And then he rode over to my neighbor's truck, pickup truck. And sometimes he has stuff in the back of it. And so I was watching, which is parked on the street. And he rode over and then he kind of stopped again. And he kind of was doing something. He looked in the back and then he reached his arm into the back of the pickup truck. And I was like, oh, dude. And so I went to the door and as I started opening the door, he had ridden up to the, to the door of the truck and he was starting to open it. And so I went out onto my porch across the street and I slammed the door really loudly. And then I gave him the evil stink eye. When he looked over and I was like, <clears throat> and I, was, I had my shoes there. I was like getting ready to go after him. And he rode off really fast. You do things differently when you think someone's going to break in. You act differently because you're trying to prevent that. Jesus says this, you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Or in Revelations, he says in three verse three, remember then what you received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Or Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on so that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And it's this picture of like those who are not ready for the return of Jesus. Suddenly the picture is not a great picture. It's of being something being stolen or you feeling ripped off, like something's going against you. Or in that picture, it's like you're naked and exposed. Suddenly it feels like, oh man, I wasn't ready. And the, the promise is that if you're not ready, it's gonna not feel good. If you're ready, you will be blessed. That's, those are the two pictures. Secondly, we live on target. We need to stay awake, but to what end? Is it really just like we're poking ourselves so we don't get embarrassed at the end of time? You know, and so it's like to keep awake, keep awake. I don't want to be embarrassed. That's my reason. Why are we, you know, doing all this to stay awake? Star Wars has this quintessential scene that happens more than once in the series of movies. And it's, they're going toward, you know, all these planes are flying toward the Death Star or some kind of thing they're trying to blow up because it's bad, the Death Star planet destroyer and they're flying in there and the hero is always in the front ship and then there's other ships and then the bad guys are flying in behind them and right they're flying in and it's like this is what they say over and over stay on target one of the ships blows up and they're like stay on target another one blows up another ship blows up Oh no, another one blows up. Stay on target. Another one blows up. Stay on target. Last one blows up. Stay on target. They're right behind you. Stay on target. They save the day. Did I just ruin Star Wars for you? <laughs> if you haven't seen it yet, then that's too bad, yeah. Stay on target. Stay on target. Jesus loves to use everyday illustrations 
for the purpose of teaching something about the kingdom. Now, one of the problems with Jesus using everyday illustrations or these parables, these pictures, stories, are that sometimes we get it, and sometimes you're like, what does that mean? Because we don't live in their culture. We don't even live in the Middle East. We don't, like, we're far removed from that culture, from a Roman culture, from, you know, Middle Eastern culture, any of that stuff. So sometimes it feels awkward, or we feel like, mm, what does that mean? So, like, for example, we don't beat our servants. And we don't even have servants. We certainly don't cut them up into little pieces when they hypothetically do something we don't like, right? So here's what I want to say to you. Don't be offended by the, the illustration. This is the thing. This is a parable. It's not a threat. Like, oh, you're going to be cut up in little pieces. Ugh. This is a parable. It's a, it's a picture that, for them, it's either funny. Some part of it's are funny when Jesus shares stories. Some parts of it have meaning to them and their experience and their life that sometimes feels like, whoa, what does that mean for us? Don't be offended. For us, maybe it would look more like I used to work at a grocery store in grade 10 to grade 12. And we did the closing shift. So the full-time guys, they worked all day. And then we would do, the part-timers would work closing, like four o'clock to close. And so we got an aisle. So I'd get my, you know, I'm on this aisle tonight. And I'd go in the back and I'd get some boxes and come out, you know, put out stock until it was done as much as I could do. I wasn't ordering. And, you know, with the stuff you couldn't put out, you would just face it and make it look full. And once you were done your aisle... You were supposed to go around and see if you could help someone else or go do a job, clean up somewhere, or do something. And as soon as I started working there, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, can I help you? And okay, can I do, what can I do here? And hey, can I clean up that thing? And all of the stock guys started making fun of me because they're like, Jonathan, like, stop it. You're making us all look bad. We don't do that. When you're done your aisle, go sit in the back. That's what we do. Just go sit and chat or whatever. And so sometimes you need to walk by and there'd be a couple guys sitting on boxes and talking. And this was just the thing. So finally I was like, again, don't want to rock the boat. Okay. I was like, okay, I'm going to try this. So I did my aisle. I went to the back, got in my space and I sat on some boxes. I sat there and I was like, this is kind of like, this is way more boring than doing work which seems like, you know, so I sat there for a few minutes. I was like, this, this feels horrible to me. I don't like it at all. So I'm not going to do it. So I got off my box and I started walking out of my space. And as I hit the corner, the supervisor walks up. Literally, I was like 30 seconds from him walking around the corner and seeing me splayed out on boxes, just sitting there. <laughs> You will be blessed if the master finds you on target doing your job. You will be blessed if the master finds you this way. But why are we working? Why are we doing these things? Is it for recognition or for accolades when the church lights go out and we go off? What does it look like for you? Why are we doing the work, when the waiting seems long and he doesn't seem to come and this all is like, is this real? What are, we, what are we doing this for? What do we do when we lose heart? In the example, they ate, drank, 
got drunk and beat the servants. That's what they did. And the master's not coming. Yeah, I'm just going to live for right now. So that's what they do. What do we do? Well, maybe we live for the moment. We just do what feels good right now. We stop believing in eternity. We stop thinking about the kingdom. We choose momentary pleasures. Maybe some of us get religious. But the master's coming soon. And the picture is, it's really easy to get off target. It's easy to get caught up in religion, to get caught up in religious activity or caught up with religious people doing religious stuff. And it's off target. It's easy to become distracted, caught up in the wrong things or even just busy things. We get caught up with work and family and studies and leisure and we end up off target. Or we get caught up being cynical. It's easy to get caught up in our disappointments, caught up in our pain, caught up in a daily struggle. We get caught up in the waiting and we end up off target. First Thessalonians says, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Or first Peter five verse eight, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour or to get off target. Now, I have two small girls. I have three girls total, but I have two little girls. My oldest is sitting here, so I won't tell a story about her. I'll tell a story about my little girls. And they're six and four. And at different points, I've come upstairs or I've come into a situation where Miriam, the youngest, is doing something like coloring on the wall or coloring on her face or doing something crazy. And I'll walk in and be like, what are you doing? What's happening? And Miriam will say, Mayel told me to. And I'll say, what? Mayel told you to? Mayel, you know you're not supposed to do this. She said, I know. That's why I told her to do it be like, oh my goodness. Now, because Miriam doesn't know she should do it, she doesn't mean she doesn't get in trouble for coloring on the wall. She's going to get in trouble. But Mayel, who knows you're not supposed to and is egging her on to do it, is in more trouble, right? Because she knows and she gets her to do it anyway. Instead of protecting and helping her, she's getting her in trouble. The policeman doesn't say to you, oh, well, that's okay. You didn't know you were breaking the law. Well, that's fine. No problem. They say, you're still breaking the law. Even if you didn't know you were, you're still culpable. You're still responsible. In both these situations, there's punishment handed out. There's, there's not a get-of-jail-free card because you didn't know. Someone said, believing something untrue, however sincerely, still won't make it true. We can be sincere. We can say, oh, well, you know, or ignorant or whatever. We can say, oh, I I didn't know that or I didn't know this. In the end, it still doesn't make it right. And this is what Jesus says. It's a sin to be ignorant of your duty and to do nothing. But it's worse if you know your duty and you do nothing. The problem is bigger for those of us who know what we're supposed to do and don't do it. Jesus challenges us in this that we can know the Father's will and we can live it. It's possible. This is our target, to live in the Father's will, to follow Jesus, to live by his spirit, to love God and love people. One eye on the target and one eye on the clouds, watching. 
Thirdly, we live by the Spirit. Bill Gates, who went to Harvard, I think he dropped out of Harvard. Is that right? Yes. So that's great for all people who want their kids to finish school. Just need a billionaire dropout. Anyway, Bill Gates was asked to go do a Harvard address in 2007, and this is what he said to the group. He said, my mother, who was filled with pride the day I was admitted here, never stopped pressing me to do more for others. A few days before my wedding, she hosted a shower for Melinda, his wife, where she read a letter she had written about marriage. My mother was very ill with cancer at the time, but she saw one more opportunity to deliver her message, and at the close of the letter, she said... From those to whom much is given, much is expected. Sorry, Bill. Your mother didn't make that up. Jesus did. Jesus said that. I don't know if she was quoting scripture or she just was saying a great proverb she'd heard. But the truth is Jesus said that. And he wasn't talking about Bill Gates' billions, although that's a good application of it. He was talking about the kingdom and a final reckoning. I love when Jesus says something hard and usually Peter, but someone usually in the group asks questions about it. Like Jesus will say something difficult about marriage and Peter will be like, so uh, why would anyone get married then? You know, like this sounds really hard or, you know, Jesus says something about forgiveness and Peter says, you know, how many times are we supposed to forgive someone? Like, what are you saying? Jesus, and Jesus goes into something. And here again, Jesus gives this challenging picture of staying awake, of being on target. And Peter says, um, who are you talking to right now? Is this to us or to everyone? Or who exactly does this apply to? Because if I could get out of it, I would. And Jesus answers with this. He says, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Who's the manager Jesus leaves in charge? Oh, that's the pastors, right? It's the apostles. Super Christians. It's super Christians. Oh, it's people who grew up in the church. Those people. Yeah, definitely those people. Or it could be preachers. Yes, preachers. Evangelists. Worship leaders. You're on the hook. Jesus answers the question. He says, everyone, everyone. In the kingdom, everyone is expected to do something with what they have. That's the picture. We are all expected to do something with what we were given, with what we have. And the Bible is clear that everyone is given gifts, different gifts. They look different, but everyone's given something. The spirit gives out gifts. They could be di- look different, but they are gifts from the Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says this, There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the, of the, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We're given gifts for a reason. You have gifts from the Spirit that are meant for the benefit of the church. And they're meant to bless and provoke the world to see Jesus. And for which you will give an account when you die. There's many places where the Bible talks about that. Christian and non-Christian, we will stand and give account. Now, nothing steals our ability to see clearly and feel grateful for what we've been given more than comparison. Comparison will rob that from you every time. I wasn't given much, not like Bill Gates. So, you know, he's the billionaire. 
So he's the one who has to give. And I, you know, I was just, I don't give him anything here. We compare and we excuse ourselves. Many years ago, a guy came into my office way back and he said he came in because he was going to commit suicide. And instead he saw the office and he saw my car and he said, I'll stop in there first. Maybe that's a better option. And he ended up sitting on my couch and sharing with me his story. And his, um, his wife had left and took the kids and was committing adultery. And he just found out he grew up in an abusive home that was filled with violence and drugs and alcohol. And he was neglected from a young age. And a lot of the mess he was in was of his own making as well. And he could see that. And uh, for three years, we ended up meeting weekly. He came in and um, God turned his life around dramatically turned his life around. It's a redemptive miracle. And he ended up being able to forgive her, forgive the guy. He walks with a deep, um, vibrant relationship with Jesus. And he's probably the most teachable person I've ever met. When you say something, he takes it in, turns it around, and then he will apply it. Amazing. Amazing. Now, God is not going to compare me to my friend. He's not going to say, well, Jonathan, wow, look how together your life is and what a mess that guy's life is. Even though, you know, he's made improvement, it's not as put together as your life. Maybe I started at 100 since I was given two Christian parents who loved me and encouraged me and set me on a course to use my gifts and abilities, who empowered me and gave me every opportunity to grow and learn and apply myself. Much was given. I would say, well, that's maybe I started 100 because I was given so much. And then over the course of my life, wow, look at, you know, I stood on their shoulders and I did this and I did that. Wow, I like, I'm at a 120 in this made up system of num- num- numeric, numerical something. I don't even know what it would be. So I'm at a 120. I say, wow, I'm so awesome. Look at me. My friend, maybe he started at a minus 50. He was given nothing. Actually, he started so far in the hole, it's a miracle he got out of the hole, let alone that he could be at an 85 in terms of his life working and, you know, the things he's applying and doing in his life. If we were going to compare, we should compare the number. For me, is a 20, and for him, is a 135. In the kingdom, you are expected to do something with what you have. We don't compare. We're not looking at someone else. Oh, I don't have as much. I didn't do as much as them. Oh, I'm not better than them. Oh, that's great. Jesus says, do something with what you have. You're accountable for what you were given. So my challenge is, how do I stay awake when my tendency is to fall asleep? How do I stay on target when my tendency is to veer off target? How do I do this? Great. Thank you for this wonderful message of challenge to me that I don't, I I can't do it. I don't know how to do this. How do we live the mission of loving God more and loving people more? The answer is to live in the spirit. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. How are you going to do it? Because the spirit of God comes and lives in you. The spirit of power 
who raised Jesus from the dead is willing to come and indwell you. Or 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. How are we going to do this? How are we going to stay awake? How are we going to stay on target? How are we going to make much with what we were given? Remain in the Spirit. Abide in the spirit, walk in the spirit. And for some of you who are like, I don't even know what that means. The, the invitation is there that if you will invite the spirit in, Jesus says, anyone who asks for the spirit, the God who's a good father will give the spirit to anyone who asks. So you say, I, wow, I'm making a mess. My life's a mess or this mess or this is hard. I don't know how to do that. Or I heard this message. It feels hard. We say, invite the spirit to come and work in us. And we trust him to be faithful to do that work. Kingdom Christians are living awake, on mission, and in the spirit. You know, the end of the world, it might come today or tomorrow or in a hundred years. I don't even know. But Jesus is not going to ask me why I didn't know which day it was. And he's not going to ask me why I have a bank card with cap on it. Or why I got an iPhone in my hand. He's not going to ask me those things. And he won't ask me why I didn't live more impulsively like every day was my last day. And I didn't plan for anything. I just lived every day. He will ask me about what he gave me. And I must give a reckoning for my sleepy days, for my wide off-target detours, for my unused gifts, for the days where I lost hope and I beat the servants for my numbing out or my escapes where I chose not to press into wakefulness but into sleepiness. And my hope is that the Spirit of God in all grace and in all love will come and fill me with his presence to awaken me to all that he has for me that I can live in the Spirit by the Spirit. Because it's the only way really to live awake and on mission is to walk in his presence, alive to him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the things you said to your disciples that are recorded by different ones uh, in different gospels. And um, Jesus, I'm even grateful for the, the, the parts that are hard to understand or that are more challenging that... Um, maybe even push our buttons where we feel uh, like something's turning inside of us. And I th- I'm so thankful that when you left earth, that you said you were sending your spirit to come and live in us. We weren't left on our own to try to process what did this mean and how do I work harder? How do I be more moral or be better at this? That you said you would send your spirit to fill us and transform us that we could abide in your presence by your spirit. And so, Lord, I ask for each person here that as um, we process what you're calling us to do in our life, for the changes you're calling us to make today, for the ways you're calling us to apply gifts that you've given us, Lord, that we would do it in your spirit, not under duty or obligation or a heaviness or a guiltiness, but under a joy. That this is what you made us for. This is where joy is. 
as we live awake to you and on mission for the things that are on your heart. Thank you, God. Amen.